Acts 19, and if you didn't bring a Bible today, please grab one from under a seat in front of you. Acts 19 is where we find ourselves. If you're new to Calvary Chapel, we go through the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. We've been going through the book of Acts. Last week we finished in verse 20, today we'll pick up in verse 21, and as I say that, and as we're turning there in our Bibles, I, you know, again, I, I, let me just let you in on a little secret. I love God. I, and I, I love how God loves me. And I, I say this, and I have a little confession because I do struggle with something. I have struggled with this narcissistic view of God's love because when I realize how much he loves me, I wonder how he has any left for you. Because I just, I, it just, it, I, I'm blown away all the time by this and how much he loves me, how much he loves our church. And, I, and as we study his word and we understand how he does everything, how he orchestrates everything, and I say all of this before we start reading the text today, because like I said, if you're new to Calvary Chapel Surprise, and you weren't here last week, you're not going to believe that this is where we left off and we're going to go today because you're going to be like, this is like ripped right out of the headlines today, right where we are. But it's, it's, this is the Word of God, and this is how He guides and directs and lead, leads us. And again, as a little bit more of an introduction, each week as I, as I study and I prepare and I go through the text, because again, that's what I know God has called us to do here, to teach through the word. And what does it say? What does it mean? How do we apply it in our lives? And I, I try to do that as we go through verse by verse. But this week, as hard as I tried to do that, it wasn't coming together that way. And I just felt the Lord just laying on my heart and, and, and really impressing on me that he had a message specifically for us as a church. And and then as I kept on trying to put an outline together for that, I usually, by 11 o'clock on Saturdays, email an outline to our media team and, so that they can put together the slides and that type of stuff. Well, at 11 o'clock yesterday, I sent them an email said, I have no outline. And at 6 o'clock last night, when I got up here for Saturday night service, I still had no outline. And as, I, as we go through this now, and I'm just going to kind of give you a, just a preview of what we're going to do. We're going to start at verse 21. We're going to start at the beginning. We're going to go to the end of the chapter. We're going to work our way back, at, back to the beginning of the chapter, and then pray that the Holy Spirit has something for us as he ties it all together. So would you follow along with me, beginning verse 21 now, Acts chapter 19. Now, after these things were finished, Paul purposed in the spirit to go to Jerusalem after he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time, there occurred no small disturbance concerning the way, that being the gospel, the way being the gospel, the message as it is spreading through the region. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, was bringing no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen of similar trades and said, Men, you know that our prosperity depends on this business. You see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a considerable number of people, saying that, 
Gods made with hands are no gods at all. Not only is there danger that this trade of ours will fall into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis be regarded as worthless, and that she whom all of Asia and the world worship will even be dethroned from her magnificence. When they heard this and were filled with rage, they began crying out, saying, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. The city was filled with the confusion, and they rushed into, in, with one accord into the theater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. And when Paul wanted to go into the assembly, the disciples would not let him. Also, some of the Asiarchs, who were his friends, sent to him and repeatedly urged him not to venture into the theater. Verse 32, So then, some were shouting one thing and some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and the majority did not know for what reason they had even come together. Hmm. Some of the crowd concluded it was Alexander, since the Jews had put him forward, and having motioned with his hands, Alexander was intending to make a defense to the assembly. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, a single outcry arose from them all as they shouted for about two hours, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. After quieting the crowd, the town clerk said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there after all who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of the image which fell down from heaven? So since these are undeniable facts, you ought to keep calm and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of our goddess. So then, if Demetrius and the craftsmen who are with him have a complaint against any man, the courts are in session and proconsuls are available, let them bring charges against one another. But if you have anything beyond this, it shall be settled in the lawful assembly. For indeed, we are in danger of being accused of a riot in connection with today's events, since there is no real cause for it. And in this connection, we will be unable to account for this disorderly gathering. After saying this, he dismissed the assembly. Well, we look at this section and we look at what's going on around. It's been kind of an interesting week this week, huh? Kind of uh, interesting things that have unfolded. Guys, let me just tell you what happened Tuesday was a miracle. And I think as we look back on this, we look back over the past several months, I, most of you probably know, Franklin Graham made it a point to travel to all 50 states, meet at every state capital, and have a time where Christians gathered together to pray to be encouraged to vote, and to be encouraged to get involved in what is going on in our country. And that effort, along with efforts made by Christians throughout the country, guys, Christians prayed. Christians got out and voted. And we see what took place. But guys, we can't stop praying now. As a matter of fact, we need to ramp up the prayers. If, if anything, guys, we have, to, we have to turn up the heat in our prayer life. We need to be praying for President-elect Donald Trump. We need to be praying first 
for his salvation. Now, some, uh, before you come up to me after the service and say, well, I heard James Dobson said that, that he led him to the Lord. Great, I love to hear that from James Dobson. I want to hear it from Donald Trump, that he's a born-again, Bible-believing, spirit-filled Christian. I want to hear that. I want him to have the boldness to say that I'm going to lead the country as I follow Jesus. That's, and that's, that needs to be our prayer, that he follows that. Pray for Vice President-elect Pence, who is an outspoken believer who has boldly proclaimed his faith in Jesus. Many of those that are being considered for cabinet positions are born-again believers. And let's pray that that, that continues. The, the Supreme Court position that's available, filled with a spirit-filled, born-again believer who will uphold our Constitution. Those are all things that we need to be praying for. But guys, let me, let me go back a step, because I said that what happened on Tuesday was a miracle. But guys, the miracle way bigger than that. It's way bigger than that. You see, I don't know how many of you went to bed on Tuesday night worried. Went to bed on Tuesday night concerned. Woke up Wednesday morning with a little anxiety. But let me tell you, somebody who had no concern, no anxiety whatsoever, that's the Lord Jesus. Because he wasn't on the ballot. I don't know, I hope none of you wrote in Jesus on your ballot because he wasn't up for election, guys. His seat's not available. (laughs) His seat is permanently filled. He's King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the sovereign God of the universe. And guys, as we look at this, as we move forward with this, there is an incredible opportunity in our country right now. And again, before, again, Political things aside, the opportunity I'm, not talking, I'm talking about is not the Republican-filled government. It's for the Spirit-filled church. Because, guys, what, the miracle I'm seeing that took place on Tuesday is that an overwhelming number of people in our country said, I'm sick and tired of what's going on. I am fed up with what is going on around me. And I'm not talking about the fact that they don't have jobs or or all of these types of things. Yes, that was clearly spoken on the political end, but I'm talking about on the moral end. I'm talking about on the ethical end. As we've been praying, and I know you've been praying, I know as Christians around, we've been uniting in prayer in this, that we would, as a country, repent. And I believe that's start. I believe that part of the miracle that we see on Tuesday is this outcry of people that says, I'm tired of being lied to. I'm tired of being told. They might not say this in their words, but in their hearts and in their response, they're saying, I'm tired of being told that I can live my life however I want to and that I'll find happiness in that because I've tried it and it's not working. I'm tired of being told that if I somehow become like that movie star or follow that person, I'm going to find joy in my life because I've tried it and it's not working. I'm tired of being told that I can drink all of this I want, do all of this I want, watch all of this I want, and there's no problems because that's not working. That's what I believe is the real miracle that's taking place. And we have an opportunity as Christians to respond in that. You see, it's interesting when we kind of, now we go back to the text and we're going to work our way back up to the beginning. What is taking place here? in Ephesus. Paul writes to the church in Corinth 
during this process, before he's, he's going to go and visit Corinth, and we'll, we'll get there in the weeks to come should the Lord tarry. We'll get to that point when he gets back to Corinth. But while he's still in Ephesus, he writes to the church in Corinth, and he says, but I will remain in Ephesus while Pen- until Pentecost, for a wide door of effective service has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. A wide door of effective service. We looked at that effective service last week. We'll touch on it again in a little bit. But the gospel is spreading throughout Asia. It is going crazy at Paul's time. And he said, this door has been opened, but the adversaries are great, and they're coming against it hard. Jesus says in Revelation chapter 3 that he opens doors that no one can close. But that doesn't mean the enemy won't try to close them. And Paul says, this door's been open for me. I'm going to stay here and I'm going I'm to continue to minister for a while. Guys, as believers, as Christians right now, the door's been open for us. And that door can't be closed by man. But don't, don't be fooled in one bit that they're not going to try. That they're not going to do everything in their power. And the enemy who is controlling all of that isn't going to try to close that door. Using his tools. Deception, confusion. Deception, understand too, deception is more than being lied to. Deception is believing the lie. If you, you, you can't be deceived unless you believe the lie. If I told you I just recently sold my house for a billion dollars, that would be a lie. But unless you believed it, you haven't been deceived. His, his tool is the lies that deceive. And, and he does that through confusion and, and that. And we see that as it's laid out here. And, and the, the root cause behind all of it, guys, is idolatry. We see what it, what it comes here, that, that idolatry is the driving force behind that. This is being taken away, and that's what's causing this uproar, guys. An idol is anything that is placed before God in our life. Anything. The first commandment, God says, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, these idols that we're seeing of, spoken of here, talking about graven images, they're making silver idols to follow after, obviously many from wood and stone and that type of thing. And keep your finger here, please, and turn to Isaiah 44. and. When we're done here, keep that, because we're going to go back and forth to Isaiah and Acts. But Isaiah 44, speaking of the foolishness of creating an idol to, to bow down to, the prophet speaks of, of this, the, the foolishness in cutting down a tree, cutting it in half, using half of the logs that you get from the one half of the tree to make a fire and cook your dinner on it, and then carving an image out of the other one and falling down and worshiping it. Just how silly that is. In in Isaiah 44, verse 19, no one recalls, nor is there knowledge or understanding to say, I have burned half of it in the fire and also have baked bread over its coals. I roast meat and eat it. Then I take the rest and make it into an abomination and I fall down before a block of wood. He feeds on ashes. Notice here, a deceived heart has turned him aside. And he cannot deliver himself, nor say, is there not a lie in my right hand? A deceived heart. 
And that's the point I want to make here as we move forward to now, okay, well, what does that mean now? Because I don't think any of us have little silver statues in our home made look like a God that we bow down to. We're not, we're not that foolish. But a deceived heart, remember, a deceived heart is one that has bought the lie that it's somehow okay for something else, even though it's maybe not made of wood, stone, or silver, but it's gotten there and we've deceived ourselves. Anything that gets in the way that is in a higher position than God in our lives is an idol. There's so many, there's so many things. Prosperity. The, the, the searching after and to, and, to, and to get more money and to get more things. If that gets in our way of the, our relationship with God, that becomes an idol. Guys, money is an amazing servant, but it is a brutal master. And the chase after more money and more things and the desire for that easily becomes an idol. Pleasure. This whole idea, again, that has swept over our country and the world, if it feels good, do it. If you want it, go for it. You can be with whoever, how many ever, whatever. As long as it's okay with you, go ahead with it. As long as you find even temporary pleasure, it's fine. Idol. Guys, bottom line is this whole pursuit of happiness that, again, we have as part of our Constitution, but that can become an idol. If that takes the place, any type of uh, priority in our relationship with God. Our image, how we look, how we appear to others. We're trying to portray something. Now, just because we've gotten rid of the statues doesn't mean, again, that they're not idols. All of the idols that they worshipped, those statues represented those things. They worshipped Artemis because they wanted prosperity. Because they wanted pleasure. But there's some others that are a little more subtle as I was trying to think about that even with our time right now. About technology being an idol. That our pursuit to know more and more and how to use this thing and how to use that thing or, or whatever. Time. Combining technology and time. I won't ask for a show of hands. Anybody had their prayers interrupted by their iPhone? Hang on, God, i got to get this. This is really important. I'll be right back. Ever get to the end of a day? Realize you didn't have time for God anywhere? Our time is so valuable. How about fear? Fear can be an idol. When our fear takes that thought. We talked about fear a couple of weeks ago and those things that naturally come in our lives and how God helps and assists us in dealing with that fear. But when fear stays there, that's an idol. Because our God is greater than anything that could ever bring fear in our lives. Politics. Is that Donald Trump can become an idol. Let me just let you in on something. Donald Trump can't fix the problems in our country. Only God can. So we have to be careful that idolatry doesn't come in and sneak into our lives, but we have to understand 
that that's what's behind the, the enemy pushing back because the enemy understands how, how impotent the idols are and how all-powerful God is. So when that starts getting, getting tipping the, the scales to people understanding that, he comes out fighting, he comes out swinging. And as back in Acts, don't, don't keep your finger in Acts 40, or Isaiah 44, we're coming back. But back in Acts, notice that this man, Demetrius, what he says about the gods, and it's, it's almost comical, again, when we look at it. He says, they're saying that the gods made with our hands aren't gods at all. The things that, that, are, that we create in our own lives to somehow try to bring us pleasure and prosperity that aren't working, they're telling us it's not working. Haters. Nothing but hate speech. Not only is there danger that this trait of ours fall into disrepute, that means they're proven that it doesn't work. How dare they? It, they're, they're showing, he's telling everybody that it's really worthless. And here's the one, here's the one again that the enemy really fights after, being dethroned from her magnificence. All of these things that are being touted as our freedoms and our rights, and we have this, if that gets dethroned from its magnificence, exposed for what it really is as sin, the enemy loses a huge foothold. So he comes out fighting and pushing against this. Guys, here's the truth of it. Here's, here again, this is the truth that the enemy does not want the lost world to hear. The first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me is not for God's benefit. He does not need his ego stroke. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me is for our benefit. I said Isaiah 44. Go back there and flip to the right a couple of pages. Isaiah 55. Here we see the heart of the God of the first commandment. Isaiah 55. This is why the first commandment is here. This is why God gives it to us. Oh, everyone, verse 1, who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. He's saying what, what you are coming to get from the Lord is free. But let me let you in on something, guys. It was way too expensive for us to pay for. Even collectively, if we pooled all of our resources, we couldn't have purchased it. But Jesus suffered and died in our place, shedding his blood to purchase it for us, to give it to us as a free gift. And so he says here, come, it's free. Come get what, is, what can't be purchased with money. Verse 2, why do you spend your money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. That's it, guys. That's the heart behind the first commandment. Because he's saying you're chasing after all of these other things in the gods and in everything that you have that cannot satisfy you. It cannot give you what you need. God has placed these desires and these needs in every one of us that only He can fulfill. 
And so the world and the en- that is controlled by the enemy is trying to get us distracted and going after all of these other things that can't satisfy. Heard the commercial, the tagline, Snickers, really satisfied. Let me let you in on something, guys. The truth behind that is it's a lie. Sick Snickers cannot satisfy you. It cannot. Try living on Snickers. It cannot satisfy you. You know what a Snickers bar does? The hunger that, is, that, that you have is your body saying, I'm craving nutrients. I'm craving what my body needs to continue to function. When you eat a Snickers, you are deadening those senses temporarily. But you're not giving it what it really needs. The same thing with sin. You're, you, you, you have these things and you say, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to chase after, after this because I feel a need for this, so I chase after sin. And you can have, there's pleasure in sin for a season, but all that does is, is deaden the, 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 the reaction to what we really need. And that's the heart again behind the first commandment. God is saying, don't go after those. Because it'll only hurt you. It will only eventually kill you. Verse 3, Isaiah 55, Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, according to the faithful mercies shown to David. Come and listen so that you can live, live forever, and live abundantly. That's the promise that Jesus has for all that come to him. And the only requirement, notice verse 1, everyone who thirsts. That's all that's required. Just a recognition that, man, all of this other stuff leaves me thirsty. It leaves me empty. As we continue to work our way back up to the beginning of our text today, what, what caused this outcry? This Demetrius, who gathers together all of these other silver idol makers, all of these guys that probably are this big, huge idol makers union, 666, that they got this thing and they're getting together and it starts this whole uproar. What caused all of that? Well, verse 20 that we looked at last week, notice it says, so the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. The word of the Lord was growing Mightily and prevailing. It was spreading, as we said. And it was prevailing. That means that people were believing it and it was having an effect on their lives and things were changing. That people stopped buying idols because they realized that they're foolish. Why would I buy an idol? That's silly. When the true and living God, who can't be made into something with human hands, has given his own son for me. So that that if I just receive his free gift, I can have everlasting life and I can have joy unspeakable and I can have hope that can never be taken away from me? Why would I go there? And that is spreading. But notice it says so. So verse 20 is the effect. The so means that there was a cause. And we saw that last week as we looked at our verses. And we see that the cause beginning all the way back into verse 6 was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and that started a revival. A revival, guys. And a revival is truly characterized by lives that are changed. 
It's not just that church attendance grows or whatever. That doesn't, that's not revival. Revival means life change. Genuine, permanent life change. And that's what was taking place here. We saw this last week as the Holy Spirit is poured out on this group of believers. And as they start studying God's Word, and as that Word spreads, again, not just through Ephesus, but throughout all of Asia, and it, that takes place without podcasts and without CDs and without iTunes accounts or whatever. It spreads throughout all of that because people were hearing it and taking it back themselves. They were sharing it with their families and their friends and churches were popping up all over the place. Real revival. Lives being changed, as we saw last week, permanently, as they were bringing coming under conviction of the Holy Spirit, bringing these books, these occult books that they had and these things, and they were burning them and saying, this is my old life. I won't go back there. And and their lives being radically, permanently changed. This, This week, yesterday, as I was feeling, this is where the Lord is taking us with this and this idea of revival. I went back and I read some some booklets and pamphlets that I had on some previous revivals that I had kind of collected over the years and was just reading through some things and just reminded of when real revival takes place, what the effects are. One in particular, this a, a, a town and not a small town, all of the bars closed. And it wasn't because of prohibition, because everybody got saved. And nobody went to the bars anymore, so they just closed the bars down. Another one that I got a, a chuckle of hearing actually this week was one, a, a place where there was a coal mine, and the town where the coal mine in a booming business, well, the coal production dipped dramatically at the beginning of this revival that took place in this town. And it wasn't because the, they, they stopped, stopped going to work. As a matter of fact, they went and they worked harder. But the problem was, back then, they had to have mules pulling the carts with the coal out of the coal mine. And they used to drive the mules by screaming and cursing at them. Well, now, they're all born again, and they don't talk like that anymore, and the mules didn't know what to do. They're just standing there. (laughs) So they had to retrain the mules. Guys, radical revival taking place, an outpouring of the Spirit, spreading of the Word. Uh, Lives changed. And again, notice, first of all, in believers. And then that just spreading throughout the whole region. Back again in Isaiah 44. Turn back there again with me. We looked at verses 19 and 20, but I want to go back to the first part of that chapter, beginning in verse 1. Now listen, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel whom I have chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you, informed you from the womb, who will help you. Do not fear, O Jacob, my servant, and you, Israel, whom I have chosen. For I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. And they will spring up among the grass like poplars by the streams of water. This one will say, I am the Lord's. 
and that one will call on the name of Jacob, and another will write on his hand, belonging to the Lord, and, will, and that will name Israel's name with honor. See, and the Holy Spirit is going to get poured out. I will pour out my Spirit. And look at the revival. I love the, the picture of this here. The grass shooting up. The poplars popping. Coming up everywhere. Spreading. Verse 6, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last, and there is no God besides me. Who is like me? Let him proclaim and declare it. Yes, let him recount to me in order from the time that I established the ancient nation and let them declare to them the things that are coming and the events that are going to take place. Verse 8, do not tremble and do not be afraid. Have I not long since announced it to you and declared it? And you are my witness. Is there any God besides me? Or is there any other rock? I know of none. You are my witness. Can we remember back in the first part of Acts as we were looking, Jesus, as He said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Guys, as He pours out His Spirit on us and we are willing vessels to be used by Him, revival can take place again. Revival can happen again. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus speaking to Christians, speaking to us as Christians, He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. It's the Lord speaking to us as Christians. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. It's not a commandment to become salt. It's not a commandment to become light. He's telling us, you are. And by the way, the original language as it's written is, you alone are. It means there's no plan B. That means, guess who it's up to? It's up to us. We're the salt of the earth. We're the light of the world. And, and we are effective in our distinctiveness, in our difference. And when we see this and we understand, what well, there's many things, and there's a whole lot to talk about in, in just in this little section here, but... But the salt, what does salt do? Among many other things, it creates thirst, right? If, if you've ever wondered why you can get a big old bucket of popcorn for $2 at a movie theater, the reason is because they sell sodas for $10. And they're smart. They know that you're going to need that soda after you start eating the popcorn because it creates thirst. Guys, our lives should create thirst in others. A thirst that can only be satisfied by the living water that we can share with them. Out of us, Jesus said, will flow torrents of living water as we allow the Spirit to come upon us and be used by Him. We're the light of the world. The light of the world. But guys, 
We can't produce light. We can only reflect it. Jesus goes on to say in verse 16, Matthew 5, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Notice it does not say produce your light. It doesn't say strive to be light. It says let your light shine. Let it happen. But again, as light reflectors, light, Jesus is the light producer, we're light reflectors. Just like the moon reflects the sun's light. So if you go out tonight and you look up into the sky and there's no, it's not a cloudy night, you can see the stars, but you can't see the moon, what's the problem? What's gotten in the way? The world has gotten in the way. The world has gotten between the sun and the moon. And guys, if we are not shining as we should, the same problem is true. The world's gotten in the way. There's an idol there that needs to be dealt with. There's, there's something that has gotten between us and God. And if we, if we deal with that as we should, and we shine like we should, notice Jesus said that they will see. They'll notice. And they will glorify your Father who is in heaven. Guys, that's how revival spreads. As they see. And they understand. And again, like I said, I believe that we are in a very unique situation with an incredible opportunity. It's been laid out before us that our country is saying, I'm tired of being lied to. And we're like, okay, we know the truth. As they see hope in us, and we can then share that truth with them. It says that they'll glorify our Father in heaven. Now, many will, many won't. Now. But Peter addresses this as to how we are to behave with those who will come against us strongly, who will push back against us. In 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. So that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may be because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Guys, we need to keep our behavior excellent. Remember who we represent. We are shining His light. We need to keep our behavior excellent. We need to continue to do as we are called and know that we are to do. And it says that slander you as evildoers the things that we do that are even right, they call evil. Guys, we live in the times of Isaiah where he says that men will call evil good and good evil. That's going to happen. That, 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 that's already happening. But we need to keep our behavior excellent so that in that time, they will glorify the Lord when they see and they understand the truth. And they're going to say, they did it. It wasn't because <laughs> wasn't I didn't know. Well, again, guys, kind of this, so, so, so what does this mean for us? Again, we're in, a, we're in a very unique time. And I believe the miracle from Tuesday is that you and I now know that there is a great opportunity for us. We unite together. We continue to pray. We ask that the Holy Spirit continually be poured out upon us. We deal with any idols in our lives. And we share the hope that we have that we are used in this, I believe, brief time. God has poured out His grace again upon us 
and allowing us this opportunity. We need to deal with it. If there's idols in our lives, if there's things that are affecting that light, let's deal with that today. And as I think of this revival and I read these things, I get excited about that. I don't know about you, but hearing about those things, isn't that kind of exciting to think that that could happen again? Let me ask this question. I've asked it before, but why, why not? Surprise, Arizona. Why not? Why not? Why not now, here? I mean, those people that were these places, these things have taken place in the past. Why them? Why not us? If God chooses to do that, how awesome would that be? If he should tarry and, and keep this, I don't think so, but if he kept it around for another hundred years before he takes the church up, wouldn't that be really cool if they're thinking in the history books saying, man, look back at the revival that started, surprise Arizona. We'll cast that crown, by the way. Guys, it, it, it's not complicated. We'll just be obedient. I got a quick, quick story to share with you. One minute. This week, my wife and I, we got a chance to get away for a couple of days. And when we do that, we have this place that we like to go. And, and there's a, a place where we get, we, have the, we get a hotel. And we, we, it's awesome because we get to spend a ton of time in praying and, and reading the word together and, and just have a wonderful time together. But there's a buffet close by. So... <laughs> Our whole three days was hotel room to the buffet, back to the room, back to the buffet, back to the room. Well, we get to the, the buffet Monday morning, and the hostess that seats us, we, we, get, we got to the table, and we said, well, we're going to go get our food. When we get back, we're going to pray for our meal. Can we pray for you about something? And we try to do that all the time. Well, she was blown away by that. And she said, wow, well, man, nobody ever asked me that here. But um, here, uh, you know, she asked us to pray for her health and, and a couple other things. And so she does, we go get our food, we come back, we pray for our meal, we pray for her. And I'm not kidding you, like a couple of minutes later, one of the other hostesses comes over, grabs a chair from another table, pulls up and she says, I hear you guys are praying. I got a list. And she gave us a list. I'm not kidding, a list. We still have that list and we are praying for her. And we're praying for the things because they're heartfelt things. And I, I, we're praying, God, answer him and let, him, let her know that it's you who answered those prayers. But it gets better. So we come back at lunch, right? And the one that seated us, that, or the one that gave us the list, she goes, I got to seat you in this section. Follow me. And she, she takes us over, sits us down, and she grabs the server from that section, comes over and introduces us to him. A sweet believer, but he shared with us some things to be praying about and everything. It was just awesome. Guys, <laughs> It can happen. God wants to use us in that. But here, bottom line, here it is. Revival starts right here. Starts in my heart, starts in your heart. Let's see what God wants to do with that, okay? Would you stand, please? As we prepare our heart for communion, I'd, I'd like to ask for all of us here today who are believers, that we spend this time, these couple of songs, worshiping the Lord who, who has given us this amazing gift and all of this opportunity, but that we would ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us if there's anything, anything at all, that has eclipsed that perfect light from coming and, and 
that we would be able to reflect it perfectly. And let's deal with that. And the, the Bible tells us there's only one way to deal with an idol, and that's to absolutely destroy it. So we do that. We just go before the Lord and we pray and, and we lift that up. So let's do that together. But I also want to ask if there's anybody here who is not a believer, who has never surrendered their life to Jesus, who is perhaps even wrestling with this, but you're tired of being lied to. You realize that all of this other stuff is just a deception and you're tired of it and you want to know your sins are forgiven. You want to know. You know that you know that you know that if you were to die today, you're going to spend eternity with the Lord Jesus. You're going to have, your, you're have eternal life. You can have that hope. You can have that joy. And you might be saying, well, I'd love to, but there's no way that God could possibly forgive all the sin in my life. That I, I've sinned way too much. I've, I, I understand grace. I've heard you talk about it before, but grace can only go so far. Guys, God's grace is limitless. Isaiah 55, we looked at it earlier, but I'm going to read a couple other verses. It says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord, and he will have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. I love that, because he could have just said he will pardon, but he said he will abundantly pardon. See, when you come to Jesus, you come dirty, but you leave perfect. Absolutely wiped clean. It doesn't matter what the past is. It doesn't matter what, it's been, what, is, what is there. Jesus' blood washes it all away. We stand before him holy and blameless. Again, not because we're clothed in ourselves, but we're clothed in his righteousness. That's the transaction that takes place. So if that's you, I want to ask you, we're going to we're going to be worshiping together here. I want to ask you, I'm going to be over in this corner behind, underneath that banner. I'd like to ask you to come over there and join me there. I'd like to pray with you. And, and you can invite the Lord Jesus into your heart. But for the rest of us, would you please join us in worship and let's let the Lord do that work in us and then we'll celebrate communion together. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for the truth that we can hold on to and know that we know that we know that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. You are seated on the throne. You are sovereign, almighty God. And Lord, we thank you for what is taking place in our country. Lord, I believe it, that you're moving on heart, that it's your desire that a revival take place. Lord, you're not done. If you were done, we wouldn't be here. So Lord, we ask that if you would find it in your, in your plan, that you would use us. And Lord, we realize that if that's going to be the case, we have to deal with whatever idols might be in our lives. So as we worship you now, would you please... Speak to our hearts individually, personally. And as you do, and as you reveal those things to us, Lord, we, we nail them to the cross, Lord. We turn our back to those things and we turn fully to you because we desire to be those lights shining brightly for you. Use us, Lord, in this time. We thank you and we praise you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.